I believe in the Holy Spirit. We just sang these words. What do we mean by them? Well, sometimes to understand what we mean by them, we have to understand what is not meant by them. I had the opportunity a number of years ago um, when I was a seminary student to hear a presentation by a very well-known Christian speaker, an Episcopalian from the United States. I'm not going to tell you who it is because I don't want to uh, besmirch the reputation of the dead. But this person, she, had a, she was very well-renowned. She was a very good speaker, very passionate about her faith. But at the one presentation I heard that I was uh, attending, she made a comment that was rather problematic. And it goes like this. She said, in the 20th or 21st century, we are living in the age of the spirit. And I thought, okay, that seems like a relatively simple statement. It's something that we can get behind, of course. The ministry of Christ on earth has passed. That was about 2,000 years ago. We are living in the time of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, as promised. So yes, I think we do live in the time of the Holy Spirit. But then she unpacked. She unpacked what she meant by saying we live in the time of the Spirit. The first thing you may notice that got dropped was, she didn't say we are living in the time of the Holy Spirit, as in the third person of the Trinity, as in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. She was just talking generically about the Spirit. Maybe with a capital S or maybe not. And her point was that because we live in the age of the Spirit, it's the Spirit within us that really matters. Listening to our inner voice listening to the spirit, the divine spark within every one of us. It was at that point when I was like, no, no, this doesn't really sound what we would identify as being robustly orthodox or Christian. In fact, this sounds suspiciously not like the age of the spirit, but more like the age of Aquarius listening to that divine spark within, listening to that still, small voice within you. And see, that's part of the problem with our modern age, thinking that we live in this time of the Spirit, is that we assume that the Holy Spirit is identical with that voice that is in my head and in my heart. And wouldn't you know it? The Holy Spirit and I never disagree then, if that's that voice, the spirit within the divine spark always happens to agree with everything that I tend to think. But isn't that just part of the problem? Isn't that part of the problem when people listen to their own spirit? When they listen to themselves and they assume that that's God speaking to them? Now we have to unpack a little bit more of this because Jesus did say in our gospel reading that the spirit of God would come to dwell within them. So we can rightly talk about the spirit within, but we better make sure that when we are talking about the spirit within, we are talking about the Holy Spirit sent from God the Father and the Son to live in and among us as individuals and as God's people. 
Because what that means makes all the difference. Now this speaker went on to say about listening to the divine spark within us that we really don't know much about the spirit, that the spirit is this very nebulous, mysterious creature. We can't really know other than that little divine voice that happens to speak in us. Again, it sounds nice. It sounds like something we like. It sounds like something I would say so that I can justify my own beliefs and habits and opinions. But again, it's not really the witness we have of the scriptures. Because when we meet the Holy Spirit in the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is anything but a mysterious, nebulous, spooky force out there. Think about where we meet the Holy Spirit in scriptures. Right away in the beginning, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God is there, eternally present. Not eternally present in my heart, but eternally present outside of me, outside of all creation existing and the plentitude of who God is. And it is this Spirit that brings forth creation. Right? God spoke all things out of nothing. Everything that is, God speaks into being. We know that God the Son is also called the Word of God, but we also know from our own human physiology that in order for a word to be spoken, what do you need? You need wind. You need breath. And so here we have the Holy Spirit breathing that word of God that speaks all things into existence. That doesn't sound like a mysterious force to me. That sounds like the power of God at work in bringing all things into being. The Holy Spirit gives birth to new creation. Think of that story in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel the prophet is brought to a valley of dry bones. And the Spirit of God says to him, can these bones live? And Ezekiel doesn't give the obvious answer, which would be, of course not, are you crazy? He says, only you, Lord, know. Probably a wise answer. And then Ezekiel's told to prophesy to the bones, and he does. He speaks the word of God, and then he hears a wind blowing. And what happens? Those dry bones take on tendons and sinews and muscle and flesh. And they are filled with the very Spirit of God. They are brought back to life. What was dead was brought to life. Where there was nothing, there is something. Why? Because the wind, the breath, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is in the business of bringing birth and creation and rebirth. Think of what happened when God's people are being led through the wilderness. They're wilderness wanderings. It's a wandering, yes, but they were led by day by a pillar of cloud and at night by a pillar of fire. Again, not exactly a mysterious presence. They knew that God was with them and among them because they could see tangible, physical symbols of God's presence with them. Not some divine inner voice, but a cloud, a fire. When they show up on Mount Sinai, the presence of God is incontrovertible. Moses even has to tell the people, do not come to the mountain, because the presence of God is there. And the people could see it. 
the thunder, the clouds, the darkness, and it was terrifying to them. So no, not some divine voice within, but the power of God made manifest among them in a way that the people could see and understand that this is God, and we better not take it lightly. Think of the Holy Spirit descending on the temple when Solomon builds it. The people are praising God. The temple has been built. Now the people can worship God in a building that has been established in the city of David, the city of Jerusalem. And the power of God descends as a cloud among the temple, and the temple is so full of the presence of God that the people can do nothing but fall down in worship and praise. Again, not a mysterious presence in the ether, but the presence of God made manifest among God's people in a way that is tangible and physical. And in the same way that this Holy Spirit, the presence of God, rested on the temple, the same Holy Spirit rested on Mary and conceived within her the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Again, not some divine spark within, but the power of God made manifest in a real and tangible way in the birth of Jesus Christ. So we see the power of God at work in ways that are not mysterious in that sense of ghostly, in the sense of someone waiting to spook us, but in real, tangible way. And that shouldn't surprise us. Jesus tells his disciples in our gospel reading exactly what's going to happen. He says, wait in Jerusalem until my Holy Spirit comes, because this Spirit will give you the divine power you need to fulfill the mission on which I am sending you. I am sending you to continue the ministry of the proclamation of the kingdom of God, to continue the very things that I have done, you will do in my name through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not through your own power, not through your own ingenuity, but through the power that will come from God through the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples are waiting. They're waiting in that same upper room where Jesus broke bread with them at the Last Supper. They're waiting in anticipation. What happens next? And as Jews, they would know the story of their ancestors. They would know the way that God works with his spirit. And yet there's still an, ex there's an expectation that something unexpected is going to happen. And that's exactly what happens. Luke tells us that a mighty rush of wind and tongues of fire descend on the apostles gathered in prayer. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because every place we've seen God in the, whole, the Holy Spirit has been with wind and breath, with fire and with cloud. So there is little wonder, there is no doubt in the minds of the apostles what has happened. And just to confirm that indeed what is happening is the work of God among them, these uneducated, unqualified, unequipped men are suddenly able to speak in languages that they didn't know that they could. There is no doubt that this is God at work among them. But isn't that just like the Holy Spirit to do the unexpected like that? And so the work of the Holy Spirit is always tangible and manifest. We know the fruit of the Spirit, meaning we see it at work. How do we know? We may not see the actual presence of the Holy Spirit. 
We may not see clouds of fire and pillars of fire and doves, but we can see the work of the Holy Spirit by the fruit that is borne by God's people when the Holy Spirit is at work in and among them. Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit, to give birth, to give birth to people, to give birth to new creation, to renew and restore, to lead God's people, even if it means they are wandering into a land they do not know and have never been before, in an unexpected place. The Holy Spirit is the glue that binds God's people together, that says we are unified in mission and in purpose. The Holy Spirit is the one who sends out God's people and says, now I have equipped you, now go and do the mission for which I have sent you and don't worry about it. I will be with you every step of the way. You don't need to worry about what you're going to say. You don't need to know what, worry about what you're going to do. You just need to go and do it. And then when you get tired, when you get weary, know that I am the God who will sustain you through the Holy Spirit with my very life itself. And so as we, the people of God here at St. James Paris, as we are entering into a new season in the life of our church and our parish, after having wandered through 26 months of wilderness and uncertainty, we have an opportunity here today. Will we allow the Holy Spirit to come among us? Well, of course you would say, why wouldn't we? But there in lies the rub. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, we either cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is doing with us, or we just say, well, that was nice, and we get on with our own business, on our own strength, on our own accord. See, when the Holy Spirit operates, we must cooperate. But if we are not cooperating with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will just move on. Because the Holy Spirit needs fertile ground for that fruit to be born. So that option, the choice here before us today when we pray for the Holy Spirit to descend on God's people anew is will I allow the Holy Spirit to come in my own life, in my own heart and mind, to renew me, to give birth to Christ in me, not in the way that I want or in the way that I see fit, but in the way that God wants and the way that God sees fit. Am I willing to follow that leading, that prodding, that pushing, to go into the world to proclaim the gospel? In the life of our church, even before the pandemic, I'm talking about the Anglican Church of Canada, we, things were not looking good demographically, and they still are looking very grim and uncertain. And I'm not saying this to be doom and gloom, but I'm saying this to say, if we want things to be different, we have to be saying, yes, Holy Spirit, come and send us out to do the work you have given us to do. It's that simple. We don't need programs. We don't need visioning. We don't need all these things. All we need is the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit at Pentecost from the witness of those 12 men who were uneducated, unequipped. All they needed was the Holy Spirit. And in one day, the scripture tells us the church grew by how many? 3,000. Let that sink in. We don't need anything else other than the Holy Spirit because we have the Holy Spirit, we have each other, and we've got the work that God has given us to do.
So yes, we want the Holy Spirit among us, but we have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. And often that means getting out of our own ways because the Holy Spirit is the one who operates. We just need to cooperate. So come, Holy Spirit, come, renew your people. Help us to get out of our own way, to get out of your way, that you would find us faithful, that you would send us out to do the work that you have given us to do, that Christ may be born in our hearts and minds this day and every day. Thanks be to God.